Hunter. Testing, are you there? Hello? Okay, I can hear you. Great. Dr. Rich, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Wonderful. Dr. Kim, are you there? One more time. Dr. Kemp, are you there? I hear something come, coming through. Can you hear me? Hello? Yes, I can. Thank you so much. Hi, everyone. Good evening. Welcome to another evening of the Cliff Bird and Friends show. Tonight, we have a great show for you. We have my special co-host, as usual. We have Ms. Hunter Hawkins. Say hello, Hunter. Hi, how are y'all? Thank you for having Alrighty. me. Alrighty. And we also have our other co-host, none other then Dr. Marlo Kemp. Say hello, Marlo. Hi, everyone. Good evening. All righty. And tonight, uh, my co-host, Jim Wardell, is coaching. He may not be able to come on the, the line tonight, but we're going to do the best we can. And later on, we have our special guest, none other than Dr. Ivana Rich, and we will introduce to her in about 28 minutes. So let's get started. Our woman of the month. It is none other than head coach, the late Pat Summit. Coach Summit, who won 1,098 games in her career, had some great sayings that we should never forget. Let's talk about a few goals. It's harder to stay on top than it is to make the climb. Continue to seek new goals, number one. Number two, loyal, loyalty. The absolute heart of loyalty is to value those people who tell you the truth, not just those people who tell you what you wanna hear. In fact, you should value them most because they have paid you the compliment of leveling with you and assuming 
you can handle it. On attitude, attitude is a choice. What you think you can do, whether positive or negative, confidence or scared, will most likely happen. I'm going to give you two more. Commitment. Quit. Quit. We keep scoring life because it matters. It counts. Too many people opt out and never discover their own abilities because they fear failure. They don't understand commitment. When you learn to keep fighting in the face of potential failure, it gives you a larger skill set to do what you want to do. And the last one, number five, confidence. Confidence is what happens when you've done the hard work that entitles you to succeed. So that's just five from the late Coach Pat Summit. Hunter, what do you think about some of Coach Pat Summit's great sayings? I mean, those are some of the wisest sayings that I've ever heard, right? Like, um, great mottos to live by, for sure, 100%. And I think it really puts into perspective just how, like, big and small things are. Um, and I think with with her and the, the way in which she coached and the way in which she led, um, really, like, nothing but respect for her and the legacy that she leaves behind. Yeah, absolutely. Marlo, Dr. Kim? Oh, yeah, I, I totally agree with Hunter. Um, she, she also has one that I've read that says, um, success is a project that is always under construction. And actually, we can um, definitely relate to that. And you can add in several words um, at the beginning as, of that success. You can say life is a project that is always under construction. So she definitely was a coach that um, knows and knew what she was um, talking about. So I was um, just really happy that she was able to share that, you know, with us as well as her players. Yeah. Coach, Coach Summit, uh, with all of her accolades and championships, eight national championships, between 18 to 20 All-Americans, um, her greatest record is that every player that played at the University of Tennessee and played four years of eligibility, eligibility, excuse me, graduated. And she coached quite a while. And so the late coach Pat Summit, our women of the month, and she is one to remember. Let me move on. Let's talk. Tonight, we're going to reverse it. We'll do some of the men's sports first. In the CIAA, in the Northern Division, in the men's division, Virginia Union, now they're playing in conference. They're 3-0, and and they're 6-2 with an overall uh, conference record. The division record is 3-0, and and they're overall record is 16 and four in the northern division second place virginia state in the division one and two the conference record six and two and overall 13 and six shaw one and two in the division four and four 
in conference, 11 and 9 overall. Lincoln, 1 and 2 in the division, 4 and 5 conference, and 9 and 11 overall. Elizabeth City State, 2 and 1 division, 3 and 6 conference, and 9, no, 8 and 11 overall. And Bowie State, pulling up the rear in the Northern Division, one and two, conference, three and five, overall, five and 16. In the Southern Division of the CIAA, Claflin, two and one, division, six and three, conference, 14 and three, overall. Fayetteville State, two and one in the division, six and three, conference, 11 and 10, overall. Winston Salem State, two and one in the division, five and four conference, thirteen and five overall. And Livingston, one and two division, four and four conference, and eight and nine overall. Johnson C. Smith, two and one division, two and five in conference, and six and eleven overall. And pulling up the rear in the Southern Division, Saint. Augustine, 0-3, division, 2-5 and five in conference, and 5-12 and 12 overall. So that is what we have right now for the CIAA men's division. The MEAC, our other conference we're covering tonight. Norfolk State is leading that conference 3-1. Conference record, 13-6 overall. Maryland, Eastern Shore, 3-1 in the conference, 10-8 overall. North Carolina Central, 3-1 in conference, 10-8 overall. Morgan State, 3-1 in conference, 10-9 overall. Howard, 3-1 in conference, 11-10 overall. Coppin State, 1-3 in in conference and six and 15 overall in south carolina state oh and four conference three and 17 overall and pulling up the rear delaware state oh and four conference one in 16 overall so as you know next month and the month after we'll be getting ready for the conferences, tournaments. And this week, we'll remind everybody in Baltimore will be the CIAA conference tournament. And then in Norfolk, Virginia will be the MEAC conference tournament. Later on, we'll talk with Dr. Rich about the SIAC tournament. So there you have it. And this week, with our special guest, we're going to give her all the time for the women's division, and we'll come back next week to review the scores, okay? So there you have it this week in HBCU sports. Now, we have another thing to talk about. That is, there's a partnership that's been formed with the Jordan brand and Howard University. I love to see this. 
The Jordan brand, XIPE, has formed a tennis shoe design that only Howard University athletes can wear. It has the insignia on the tongue of the shoes and the school-inspired patch on the heels. So Jordan teaming up with an HBCU. Hunter, what do you think? Uh, I love it, right? And I think um, kids at HBCUs usually get the short end of the stick when it comes to uh, gear and just like awareness of, um, or like, I think this is like a great way to give back and put them on the map, um, you know, and just being able to, to like walk around with pride, right? With, oh, I've got my own shoe and um, just being able to be like, yeah, I've got my own shoe. It's cool. And I'm on the map. Right. And I think that's a great thing, especially for HBCUs that really don't get as much recognition and all of the gear that you see like division one teams get. Dr. Kim. Oh, I definitely agree. Um, uh, Mr. Jordan, can you uh, share the wealth and spread the love? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really, I think that's really nice of him. Um, and it's good, it's good, at least we know that he's probably starting with Howard and who knows, you know, which school, uh, which HBCU, um, you know, school will be next. You just never know. So I think yes. it's awesome. Yeah. And I believe uh, Howard is the same school that uh, Stefan Curry sponsored the golf to bring golf back as a sport about a year ago. So, yes. The NBA players are reaching out to HBCUs. One more story in the men's division tonight, and that's the story of coach or former coach Ed Reed, the former NFL great. He was hired at Bethune-Cookman probably three or four weeks ago, but they have... Uh, refused to ratify his contract. He's been outspoken and critical openly of some of the shortcomings, in his opinion, that HBCUs, or should I say Bethune-Cookman, should have already had in place, at least in his opinion. And clearly the administration didn't agree with something that they originally thought they they had in hiring hiring him what do you think huh hunter i think it's really unfortunate and i just feel for the kids especially because they're getting the the short end of the stick here um knowing that they were super excited to have him um i think it's a double-edged sword right i think that there's a way to go about how you handle business and i think ed didn't do the greatest job in terms of getting on podcasts and blasting his school. I think there's a, a better way to go about that. Um, and it's unfortunate that this is where it ended up. But like, even in his like 12 minute IG post about like, you know, telling the kids that he, he wasn't able to um, coach them, like you can see how passionate he is. Um, and I think, you know, Bethune Cookman should should totally look into the things that he was talking about and try and fix that. Um, 
but at the same time, there's there's a way to be professional and go about, um, you know, I would like to see these changes. And this is why we don't have those changes. And I think um, it's it's unfortunate for the kids at the end of the day, because so many people committed and were so ready to play under him. And, and now they don't get that opportunity. That's correct. Exactly. Dr. Kemp? Do they? Um, is it official? I mean, because he said that he didn't um, he didn't withdraw his name as the coach. So is it official that he is no longer the head coach? Well, if they, go ahead, Hunter. Uh, I believe, I mean, they never, they didn't ratify it, right? I think, I think it's official um, at this point in time uh, that he's not coming back or will coach at all. Like he didn't sign anything and he, and he said that he didn't sign anything. So I don't think they're going to have him sign anything. That's so unfortunate. Go ahead, Dr. Mm -hmm. Kim. I was just gonna say that's just so unfortunate. Like Hunter said, I totally agree. It's like the the um, kids were just really excited, um, you know, to have him as the coach, and it um, sounds like that they were doing a lot of things to just try to help improve this this area, um, you know, the their area where they were playing, um, you know, just for themselves. And you know, he was definitely getting them motivated, and parents, you know, trusted him to send their their sons down there to play football underneath him um, I, I really hope that something um, better comes out of this situation um, especially for the kids because they are the ones that are actually suffering righty um, we're gonna go to our first commercial break I believe we have uh, our other co-host Jim coach Jim Waddell who's joined us and before we head to the musical part of our commercial break, we do have an official sponsor of the program, our first. And tonight, I'll give you the word version of the commercial. If you're looking for investment and in property in the Georgia area, you have Miss Pamela Renee Ferguson, CEO of her company, and she's a real estate broker and dynamic. We're going to make you official commercial and we'll be bringing it to you each week, phone number, Facebook, all the rest. But we truly thank Pamela for becoming a sponsor for the Cliff Burke show. We'll be back after the one minute commercial. Alrighty, I want to make a quick check. Jim, 
Can you hear me? Okay, we're still trying to get Jim through the line. Hunter, take us away on this segment. Yeah, we've, I'm taking it away. Uh, top five teams in the country for Division One basketball for the women, South Carolina, Ohio State, LSU, all of which are undefeated at 19-0. and Stanford and Connecticut are right there behind them, respectfully, at 18-2 and and 17-2. and Connecticut is actually currently on a 10-game winning streak. Um, I also want to extend our congratulations to Aaliyah Boston of South Carolina for setting the South Carolina record for most double-doubles in school history. She did so with a 13-point and 14-rebound game against Arkansas, and that title now belongs to her and her alone at 73 and counting. Then we've got the top five leading scorers in women's college basketball. Um, Starting at number one, Maddie Segrist at Villanova, averaging 28.5 points per game. We've got Kishana Washington at Drexel, averaging 26.9. Caitlin Clark at Iowa, averaging 26.7. Anissa Morrow at DePaul, averaging 25.2. And last but not least is Angel Reese, who has found her home at LSU after transferring from Maryland. She's currently averaging 24.2 points. I also just want to take a moment to give her her flowers for the comeback that she's had. She had quite the college journey, having surgery on a broken foot her freshman year and then having to come off the bench uh, to Maryland losing in the Sweet 16 to Texas to her coming back sophomore year and playing in all 32 games only to lose in the Sweet 16 again. She's averaging um, a double-double at the moment uh, back at in LSU. Um, everybody knows that it's no easy decision to transfer, um, but Reese made that decision going to LSU. And since November, like I said, she's accumulated 18 consecutive double doubles while averaging 24.2 points and 15.6 rebounds. She currently leads the nation with 6.1 offensive rebounds per game and 104 total rebounds on the offensive glass, which is actually more than 13 Division I schools have as a team. So a round of applause for her for the impressive turnaround. Now we've got our top five leading rebounders in college basketball. We've got Lauren Gustin at BYU averaging 16.2. Angel Reese at LSU averaging 15.6. Tiana Jackson at Kansas averaging 12.7. Dulce Fancomenjiadu at USF averaging 12.4. Anissa Morrow at DePaul averaging 11.8. And actually, Anissa and the Blue Demons are currently playing the UConn Huskies right now. And the Huskies are dominating that game 61 to 31 in the third quarter. So I think the Huskies are about to extend that that 10 game win streak to 11 um, in a minute. We've also got some NBA updates for you guys. Um, Jason Tatum has moved up the spot in the MVP ratings to number two. He's currently averaging 31.2 points per game, eight and a half rebounds, and 4.3 assists. He dropped 34 points and a career-high 19 rebounds in the thrilling overtime win against the Golden State Warriors. Um, Nikola Jokic is still number one with 25.1 points per game, 11 rebounds, and 9.9 assists, basically a triple-double. Joel Embiid, Luka Doncic, and Giannis Antetokounmpo are 3, 4, and 5, respectfully. Uh, Some more news, we've got the Orlando Magic's Jonathan Isaac, who tore his ACL in 2020 and has missed two and a half years recovering from it, making his return to the court tonight versus the Boston Celtics. So we're wishing him the best in his return. Chris Middleton, uh, who's missed 18 games with a right knee injury, and Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's missed the last five games with a left knee injury, are making their return tonight for the Bucs. 
some highlights from over the weekend in the NBA include Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Lakers coming back from down 25 to win by nine over the Portland Trailblazers. They were led by LeBron James, who had 37, 11, and four, and Thomas Bryant, who had 31, 14 rebounds and two blocks and two key dunks at the end of that game. The Suns escaped with a two-point victory over the Grizzlies after nearly squandering a 29-point lead. They were led by Chris Paul, who had 22-11-6. The KD-less Nets come down come from down 17 to shock the Warriors at home last night behind Kyrie's 38-7-9. And before we move on, I want to give a shout-out to the Sacramento Kings, who have shocked everyone in the NBA. They're currently sitting at third in the West at 26-9. Mike Brown and his staff have really turned that franchise around with the help of De'Aaron Fox, DeMonte Sabonis, Malik Monk, and Kevin Herter. So hashtag light the beam. In NFL news, the Cowboys fall short again in the playoffs, losing to the Niners 12-19. Dak flamed out after a stellar performance last week against the Bucks. The Niners are moving on to the NFC Championship game to face the Eagles, who gave the Giants a 38-7 beatdown on Saturday night. <laughs> Brock <God>. Purdy looks... <laughs> My bad. Brock Purdy looks human last night, so that should be a fun one next Sunday. I'm definitely looking forward to it. On the AFC side, the Chiefs took care of things against the surging Jaguars, and they'll face the defending AFC champion Bengals, who beat the Bills 27-14 in Buffalo and a rematch of last year's championship game. Patrick Mahomes suffered a high ankle sprain in the first half of the game, and despite finishing it out, he looked so hobbled. So that's something to keep an eye on this week and definitely heading into Sunday and Sunday um, as they play the game. I wanted to ask you all, as these matchups are set, who do you think is going to the Super Bowl? Uh, I think the Bengals are going back. They look bad in the beginning of the season, but they look focus now. That's one of them. I can't say the other Eagles, I guess, are in the same side. I don't know. But the Bengals for me. I'm going to say okay. the Eagles. I think the I think the Eagles um, definitely have a, a good chance of going. They're looking good this year. Um, and thanks for the beat down that they gave us. Um, mm. <laughs> yeah. Hunter, uh, Hunter, we live in New Jersey. So that one hurt. Okay. But but that's okay. Keep going. At least your team, at least your team made the playoffs. Mine mine couldn't get past the Lions in the last game of the season. Um but I think I I think we're looking at a, a Bengals Eagles um Super Bowl for sure. I think so. I think um the Bengals are gonna have a field day with Patrick Mahomes being hobbled and it's so unfortunate because that matchup last year was so exciting. Um, and I just think that the the Dallas Cowboys found a weakness in, in Brock Purdy last week. And I think that the Eagles have a strong defense to capitalize off of that. And so I think that they're gonna they're gonna put some pressure on the rookie. Um, but it's he's had a great run. But I think that run is coming to an end this week. Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, let me ask you one question and then we want to take a commercial break because we want to get to our special special guest but uh what do you think it is that makes gino ariema and that yukon system uh they just march on they lost the player of the year or one of the great players and it doesn't look like they missed a beat um yeah i 
I think it's the program, right? Um, you know what you're getting when you when you show up. Uh, and I think they all of those kids buy in so much and, and he shows how passionate he is and how much he cares. And I think just the way in which they run that program um, and all of the winning that they do, it's working, right? It's a working recipe. And I think like if you're selected to that program, you wouldn't want to come in and, and try things your own way. It's worked for so long. They've had so much success that like you're going to buy in regardless. Um, yeah. So yeah. That's, that's where I think they've had. He so also, this year, uh, he just lost, Coach R.E.M.L., lost his mother. The last few weeks, he lost his mother. He's been ill. But the one constant he has, that assistant coach has been with him over 35 years. And the importance of an assistant coach is demonstrated in that program. Oh, 100%, 100%. And I think, again, it even like talking about kids buying in, you've got to be on the same page as a coach with the rest of your coaching staff. And I think just the, the love and respect that they all have for each other and um, being able to uh, put together a game plan and, and, you know, put puzzle pieces together to figure it all out. Um, they have nothing but the utmost respect for each other. And I think that trickles down into the program itself and the girls and um, their success. Marla, I'm going to let you get the last comment on this section. And then we'll take a commercial break. And we're going to come back with Dr. Ivana. Bitch. Oh, it definitely it definitely shows you can uh you know just see that just their record just tells it all um how much respect that they have for each other and as hunter um said you know once the players are selected or they choose to go you know to connecticut um and and selected they definitely buy into that program because they know that they are going to be a success both um on the court as well as off the court. Absolutely. Well, my hat goes off to him and his you. staff. Yes. Hunter, we want to thank you for that great segment. We'll take a one minute break and then we're coming back with Dr. Ivana Rich. Wow, what a guess. 
Dr. Ridge is a legacy member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. She's also the proud mother of a six-year-old daughter, Melanie Rich. Dr. Rich, she earned a bachelor's degree in criminal justice from Virginia Commonwealth University. She also has a master's degree in sports management from Virginia State University. She has a second master's degree in human services counseling from Liberty University. And then she received her doctoral degree in curriculum and instruction slash educational technology from the University of South Carolina. South Carolina. She was a dynamic basketball player, <laughs> volleyball player for Virginia Commonwealth University. Before she left the school, she was awarded all CAA first team in 2008 and many more awards. She would leave there, take a short stint at Chawang University, and she helped lead the CI, the Hawks to a CIAA championship in 2010. She would move on to Virginia State University, a program that started out 10 and 17, eight and eight in conference play in her first season. But before she left, Virginia State University would finish 15 and 12 overall and 13 and three in volleyball with her at the coaching helm. She would move on to Robert Morris University. There, she was responsible for coordinating academic support for all 15 of Robert Morris University's sports. She would move on from there and she would have a short stint at Howard University where she was responsible as the academic advisor for all 19 Howard University sports. And then she would move on to Norfolk State University. She served many roles, but in this Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference School, she would become their athletic director. And recently, she was appointed the first African-American Associate Vice President and Director of Intercollegiate Athletics at Edward Waters College, a trailblazer. What an honor. Welcome to the show, Dr. Ivana Rich. Hello, Doc. Good evening. Good evening. Dr. Rich, uh, it's an honor to have you. And my co-hosts, I'm going to let the first question come from your Sarah, Dr. Marlo <laughs> Kemp. She's been waiting a few weeks for this. Yes, Sarah. What an honor. What an honor, Sarah Rich. Um, it is an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on to um, um, interview with us. Um, it's, it's an honor. Um, my question is, my first question is, um, how would you say that your role as the AD at Northfolk 
University played in transitioning or helped to transition your role as AD at Edward Waters? Well, um, first and foremost, thank you all for the opportunity to be on here this evening. Um, I'm incredibly excited and I really enjoyed the show up until this point. So kudos to you all. Um, but to jump right into that question, so I had the opportunity to serve as acting AD um, prior to um, being appointed Associate VP and Director of Athletics at Edward Waters. And I can say all of my experiences um, at Norfolk State, I, I served in multiple roles, um, Associate AD, Senior Women Administrator, uh, Academic Advisor, Learning Specialist. Um, so I, I kind of dabbled in everything, but I can tell you that the aspects of running the department, um, budget management, as well as just working with people and working with student athletes um, really helped me uh, prepare for this role I'm currently in. Um, I think there is value to having your hands in everything, um, and I, I surely did. Um, and that actually gave me uh, diverse perspectives uh, when it comes to athletics operations, um, academic support, compliance. And so to be able to touch all those different facets during my time at Norfolk State um, definitely prepared me uh, for this role and, you know, was well suited in, in providing me with a diverse experience needed to really come in and assess where we are here at EWU um, and really make a difference. This is, this is Dr. Burke. I'm going to ask a question. You come to Edward Waters College. They're in the middle of, uh, of going from NIA to SIAC Division II. How difficult or what were the challenges for this transition? That is actually a great question, Bert. So in the provisional process, there are a lot of things that have to be done, um, a lot of steps that have to be taken to ensure a successful transition into Division II. Um, and so, you know, I kind of had to come in here, hit the ground running and kind of pick off where um, our former AD left off and, you know, get in contact with our NCAA consultants, our representatives. Um, I just came back from the NCAA convention where we had mandatory provisional meetings where we sat down with our NCAA Division II representatives, as well as other institutions that are in the process. And so what I would say the, the most challenging part is just um, learning the lay of the land and mm -hmm. evaluating the assessing. And sometimes assessing takes time, but we don't really have time. You know, we're, mm -hmm. we're in this thing. Um, and so, you know, being able to really uh, expedite that assessment phase to make sure that we have a full analysis of where we are so that we can put the mechanisms in place, the staffing in place, um, the policies and procedures in place to make sure that we are doing things in the way um, that is expected of us um, being NCAA Division II members. Um, and I think uh, just kind of back to my the first question, uh, my preparation and my experience at the, the Division I and Division II levels in the NCAA uh, definitely serve as a strength because it helps me to, you know, see where we are here and to be able to really put things in place to, to get us to where we need to go. But um, uh, the former AD, AD Brian, he did an incredible job here. And so it was very easy to come in here and just pick up the pick up the, the ball and, and, and keep dribbling and keep running. Alrighty. I'm gonna see if uh, our co-host Jim, if he could get through, if he has a question. If not, I'm gonna go to Hunter. Jim, can you get through? Okay, not yet. Hunter? 
Go ahead. Yeah, I was just wondering if you could take us through like the process of becoming an athletic director for a college. Um, what what I could do, Hunter, I could take you through my process. Um, because it was it was very quick, um, but it was a it was just a great experience. And so, um, I was engaged by a search firm, uh, Parker Search, uh, for this for this position. And so, you know, I met with the representatives, associates from Parker. I submitted my um, application materials, and then that from that process is just a lot of conversations. You know, talking about the position, talking about your experience, and then of course, uh, the constituents here at EWU. Um, reviewed my application materials and then uh, decided to engage in further conversation with me. And so um, I had to participate in a Zoom interview, um, my first interview um, with a panel, and uh, went through a series of questions with that. Um, those were evaluated and I was invited to campus for a two-day interview on campus. And that was a full day's worth of interviews. And so during that process, I engaged with the student athlete, the student athlete advisory committee. So those are comprised of our student leaders um, within the department, the staff in the athletic department, including coaches and administrators, the president's cabinet, um, as well, of course, the president and first lady themselves. And so went through that process. Um, and then, you know, that, that was pretty much the, the process from there. And then I received um, the official offer. Um, so that's that's how my, my process went. Um, it was really quick, um, but, you know, required a lot of coordination, um, a lot of preparation. But, um, you know, working with a search firm, I think it's, it's just it makes the it makes the, the transition that much easier um, because those ladies, they did an incredible job um, just assisting through the process, sending me um, preparation materials and so forth. Dr. Rich, I, I have a question. Um, when you, I'll take you back, back a little ways. Mm -hmm. You went to college, you majored in criminal justice. You also, I understand, thought about becoming a physician, but you went with your calling. And, and I read up on you. Tell me about that. That is so important for youngsters in college to go with their calling. So you turned down law school, you could have went. You turned down medical school, you could have went. But tell us about that, that decision back during that time. Yes, uh, Dr. Burr, you definitely did your research um, because oh, yeah. that is so, so accurate. <laughs> you know, I, I chose VCU. One of the reasons I chose VCU, of course, I wanted to continue my volleyball playing career there, but I wanted to go to um, Medical College of Virginia. You know, that was a big deal for a Virginian. And so um, I went there, was bio or pre-med for three semesters, and I tell my students this story to help them. Like you said, a lot of them come to college and aren't very sure what direction they want to go in. And I really assure them that it's okay because this is a time to really figure it out. Um, and so I switched my major to criminal justice. That was something I was interested in. Um, I always had an interest in law. I excelled in that program and decided I was going to be a judge actually spent some time in the Chesterfield County um, courthouse interning with the judge there and I was inspired and so I my plan was to graduate from VCU uh, take a little time take the LSAT and then you know move forward and go to law school but you know your your heart has a way of really come on really pulling you um, in the direction you want to be in and I think uh, God definitely ordered my steps 
I uh, connected with uh, my former uh, co-worker, colleague and co-worker um, who was the head volleyball coach at Chuan University, Peter Green. He used to coach the camps at VCU, VCU Volleyball, he used to host in the summer. And so I built a relationship with him and he said, you have to come down here and help me with my middles. You have to come coach with me. Um, and so, you know, I initially was supposed to go there and be a graduate assistant, but the funding actually fell through. So I actually took that position as a volunteer assistant coach. And I just kind of went with it. I felt like it was an opportunity I couldn't turn down. Um, and so, you know, that just, once I got there, I interacted with the girls. I knew that my calling was to be in athletics um, in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And so I just kind of kept on that route. And of course, it just kind of, I transitioned through different facets of athletics, but I knew, and I still know to this day, I'm in a position where I can impact lives and yes. impact the experience of student athletes. And that's where my passion has always been. Um, and I tell my student athletes all the time when I sit down with them and I say, one thing I can say is when I was at VCU, I had an incredible student athlete experience. And I want to make sure that all of my student athletes um, had that same experience or better. And so that's what I live by day by day. Um, and so, yeah, I hope I answered your question. You <laughs> did. Went down the rabbit hole you did. Before we go to commercial break, what years were you at VCU? I played at VCU from 2006 to uh, 2010. Okay. Because I knew we connected because I was a medical resident at VCU from 1998 to 2002. So go Rams. All right. Yes, go Rams. <laughs> and go Giants. Go. I'm glad I have some Giants fans on here. <laughs> yeah. We're going to go to commercial break and we're coming right back. Dr. Ivana Rich. to the next question with Dr. Kemp. I just had one question to ask you um, before then. This NIL and the portal, what do you think or how has that affected college sports from the athlete's side? NIL first and then address the transfer portal, second, Dr. Rich. Absolutely. Um, those are two critical things that are impacting um, college athletics right now. And so I'll start with NIL. So NIL, and technically, it was put in place to benefit the student athletes. Um, and I definitely wish I had the opportunity to, to pursue NIL deals when I was in college. However, it has really just opened up the gates because every state has different NIL rules and regulations. Um, it's, NIL is 
it's difficult to manage, especially for small institutions or limited resource institutions that do not have the staff to really manage all the deals and, you know, keep track of everything. And in addition to that, we're finding that NIL is, is actually creating more of a mm -hmm. gap between small institutions and large institutions and what you can provide to your student athletes. Because a lot of these large institutions, they have access to more resources, more donors, more individuals that want to invest in NIL deals and opportunities than small institutions have. And a lot of them, even though it's against the rules, are using that for recruiting purposes. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's really kind of setting the smaller institutions back or institutions who are markets that really can't compete in terms of NIL. Um, there's also, you know, with large institutions, there are a lot of NIL platforms um, that are available now, like Influencer, Open Doors, and there, there are quite a few of them now, Mogul. But a small institution, if that's like a EWU, you know, we don't necessarily have the resources to fund that type of program. We have to allocate our resources to where they're most needed. And so, you know, I think it, it's kind of a, a gift and a curse. It's a yeah. gift because student athletes now have the opportunity to benefit off. Continue. Okay, I just want to make sure. Um, then, in terms of the transfer portal, that's another whole ordeal. And so, the transfer portal is really is is creating an opportunity for student athletes because with the the previous regulations, you know, a coach in an athletic department could regulate where a student athlete could transfer to. They could determine if there any opponent was on their schedule for the next season. They could prevent their student athlete from transferring to that institution. And I always felt that that was very restrictive. Um, and could have a major impact on the student athlete experience. And so the transfer portal did look like it was going to be a good idea, um, you know, would help to mitigate those those barriers faced by some of those student athletes who wanted to transfer. However, I don't think it was thought all the way through to the point where, you know, not, a lot of times like the transfer portal is really impacting HBCUs um, because a lot of those students, they see another opportunity, they do well in the HBCU, win championships there, and then they jump into the transfer portal because mm -hmm. they go somewhere bigger or feel like they could have a better experience somewhere else. And so it's actually harder on HBCUs, I believe, yeah. because a lot of those students that you have invested time to build, you know, maybe they weren't ready for that level initially when coming out of high school. You put a lot of time and resources into them. And now by their, you know, junior, senior year, and they may have an extra year due to COVID, they decide to, okay, I'm going to take my talent somewhere else, so to speak. Um, and mm -hmm. then is also having a significant impact on high school recruiting um, between the transfer portal and COVID because, you know, a lot of students have these extra years, they can transfer to different institutions. And so, you know, a lot of times the coaches are going with student athletes that are more experienced and transfers have more experience than someone coming straight out of high school. So I definitely see a, a major impact in that category too. And that's just really unfortunate um, for those high school student athletes who want to continue their careers at a high level. Dr. Kemp, thank you, Dr. Rich. Dr. Kemp. It, it seems like, you know, with the portal that, um, you know, like at old school, you don't get a chance to really get to know the players, um, you know, and, and as 
personally as students, you know, because if they are uh, willing to, you know, just transfer, um, like you said, just um, seeing another or better opportunity, um, you know, for them, you know, that makes it difficult, um, you know, for um, the administration, the coaches, you know, to just, you know, try to get to know them better. And I know just being at a smaller university, you know, sometimes can help, you know, some students. So um, I guess one, my question is, um, I just wanted to go back. Um, how did you get interested in volleyball? That's actually a great question. It's one of my favorite stories to tell. So <laughs> I was, the volleyball was my last sport I picked up, literally mm. the sport I started playing. I played softball most of my life and I was a basketball player. And so in high school, um, I went to a very small high school I'm from a very small area. Um, the coaches who coached basketball also coached volleyball and they're from Honduras. And so, you know, after getting to know them, I played for them for two years and they're like, we're going to need you to play volleyball with us. And I love them. They're like my family. So I would do anything they asked me to do. I said, sure, I'll come play. Didn't know how to play at all other than like, you know, reunion volleyball. Um, and so I joined the volleyball team my sophomore year in high school. That's when I started playing volleyball. Um, so I, you know, started playing playing volleyball just because of them and their influence on me. They really changed the trajectory of my life. Um, those two ladies, it was a mother and daughter. And um, I, I played that first year. It was more of a developmental year for me. The second year, um, the team was good. We were, I learned how to play a little bit. And um, I was actually at the conference tournament, the, dis the district tournament. Um, and one of the officials, he came and spoke to me and my parents after the game. He said, you should consider playing club volleyball. And so, of course, we didn't really know what that was because where I come from, there is no club volleyball. We would have to travel an hour to Richmond to get to the closest team. And so my parents wanted us to look into it, and that's what we did. And so that my junior year, I actually played on the club volleyball team. Didn't play that much, um, but it exposed me to a higher level of volleyball. Um, and I, I'm, I'm telling this story the way I'm telling it because it really shows the impact that volleyball has had in my life. In that club program I played with, there were two players from VCU that coached in that club. And that's how I got recruited to go to VCU. Um, those players, they talked to the coach. He was, we started coming out. Those players became my, my moms at, at VCU. They were seniors when I got there. Um, but that allowed me the opportunity to, you know, continue playing volleyball at a higher level um, and continue my career at VCU. Nice. Dr. Rich, I have a question. Then I'm going to let Hunter come with hers in, and, and Jim maybe typing one in the, into the chat. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. My, my question is, what do you think? Well, no. Tell us about Edward Waters College. We want exposure. We hear about FAMU. We hear about Bethune Cookman. We hear about Florida, Florida Memorial, but we don't hear that much. What's the student size? And and just tell us some great things about the school. So let's start. It's Edward Waters University now. Um, they transitioned to a university, I think, two years ago under the leadership of Dr. A. Zachary Faison, who is our current president. He's done an incredible job here. Um, Edward Waters is located in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, we are the only 
We are the only uh, HBCU in Jacksonville, and currently we're the only Division II HBCU in the state of Florida. Uh, we are the only school in the city of Jacksonville that has collegiate football. But as a campus, uh, the campus has grown tremendously. We have um, upgraded facilities. We're working on a new CAF project, which is going to upgrade our um, dining area for our students. We have a brand new football stadium that just opened a year ago, all turf field, um, a brand new uh, gym floor. Um, they call it the jungle. It's probably one of the most unique floors you're going to see in uh, college, college basketball, volleyball. Um, so if you haven't seen that floor, you have to see the floor. It's amazing. Um, just uh, installed a new video screen in the gym as well. We are a small private HBCU. Um, we have about 1,200 students, um, a variety of academic offerings, and we are um, actually adding programs each year. Uh, we have a very popular online MBA master's program or master's of business administration program. Um, and then we've just added computer science and also adding cybersecurity. And so we're on the rise here. Uh, mm -hmm. President Faison, he has done an incredible job just changing the pace of the institution and really putting EWU on the map um, with the facility upgrades, with getting us out there, partnerships with uh, University of Florida's nursing program, and just really moving the institution forward. He hasn't been here that long, but in the short period of time, if you if you've come to EWU or come through here, Kings Road is where the university sits. If you come through here three years ago and you come through here today, it's going to look like night and day. Wow. Um, Jim, our Jim, co-host, type this in the chat. How do you feel about living in Florida? And he lives in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. I absolutely love it. Anybody who knows me knows I love um, warm weather. And so I'm the I'm the coworker that uh, has a heater on in my office year round. That's one thing the students will complain about me. Um, always very warm. And so I love living in Florida. I love the climate. Um, I love palm trees. That's like one of my symbols. And so I actually lived in Florida temporarily. Well, the summer of 2019 in Tampa, um, and I went back to Virginia. But definitely loving uh, the entire atmosphere down here in Florida and, you know, take every chance I get to be outside. I'm an outdoorsy person. Um, so it's just, it's just right in the line with what I, what I like and what I enjoy. Hunter, give your last question. Yeah. My question is like, do you feel an extra set of pressure being like the first woman AD in your school's history, um, especially being a black woman or just like in general, being a woman in an athletic director's position, because it's definitely a male dominated industry. Yeah, that's actually a really good question, Hunter. And I think, um, I think there's a certain level of pressure that comes along with just being in the position, you know, regardless of the demographics of being a woman or being an African American. I think it's just a little bit of pressure that comes along with being in the position. But um, for me personally, I thrive off of that. You know, I think you need a little bit of pressure on you to really excel and do well. Um, you know, when you go into a stress-free, pressure-free environment, I don't think you, I don't think you achieve as much. You don't work as hard. Um, and so, for me, that that little bit of pressure that I do feel, I definitely embrace it. Um, I'm appreciative of it, and I, I recognize it and understand it. And so, um, I think you know, with it being a male-dominated field. My goal is to get in here and really prove that, you know, women can do just as much or more. 
um, in the position and we can dominate and we can make a difference um, and do it in our own way. Uh, and that's one thing I said, I'm going to come in here and do it my own way, um, just based on my experiences and just keeping benefiting, the, benefiting and changing the lives of student athletes at the forefront. And I feel like if I continue to do that, I will always be going in the right direction. Perfect. Thank Dr. you. Dr. Mm -hmm. Rich, uh, we know you're going to set the, the trend in the SIAC that they now have five African-American women athletic directors in the MIAC. So we know what's coming. We want to let you know here, you always have a, bite, a voice on the Cliff Bird Show. You don't have to wait to be, to be invited, okay? Always, you have a voice here on our show. Uh, Jim, myself, Marlo, HBCU, and, and Hunter's HBCU too in consciousness. So you have a home anytime you want to get a message out. But thank you so much. And everybody else, unmike and tell Dr. Rich, thank you. Thank you so much for being on. Really appreciate it. No, thank so, you all. Thank you so much for having me. Sorry, Rich. It was an honor to interview you this evening. We know you got this. You're a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Yes, Sora. Right. Thank you so much. All right. Well, before we go, uh, we have our, our parent show Wednesday night, 9, 10 a.m. WFDL. Mark Jones and Friends. Sports Talk. Jim, our co-host, works that show along with Jack, Reggie, and Carl, 9 to 11 p.m. iHeart Radio. And of course, next week, we have a special guest, Sheila Townsend, CEO, Tennis Phenom, and her daughter is professional tennis player, Taylor Townsend, who is still alive in the Australian Open in mixed doubles. So we have a special guest coming and we look forward to seeing you all in 168 hours from now. Thank you, we'll see you next week. Thank you, good night.